Emerging Voices Fellowship is a literary mentorship that provides new writers the tools to launch a professional writing career. Emerging Voices is the most amazing program that allows the writers to develop. It's the opportunity to have my work in the world, to get to the truth of my writing, to know that what I'm writing matters. back to the Pen America Emerging Voices Fellowship Podcast. This is episode four, and we are here with 2015 Emerging Voice, uh, La- Nancy Lene Wu. Hi. How you doing, Nance? I'm good. So glad that you could meet with me today and we can talk. Yeah, I'm happy to talk. So exciting. Uh, we are here in Long Beach in Nancy's amazing apartment where she lives alone with her cat. Something I have aspired to for many years. So exciting. This apartment is huge and amazing. And I was saying to you that this is the first time, this is the, the, the fourth podcast, and this will be the first time that we're going to talk about traffic and the exorbitant cost of housing oh, in L.A. Topics we all love right? to complain about. Yeah. Yes. So that, that's coming up. <laughs> so get ready. Nancy, tell us, uh, give us your origin story. Tell us how you became a writer, how you came to Emerging Voices. Ah, okay. And a couple of bullet points. I think I realized I was a writer around the age of eight, which is when certain psychologists say you become self-aware. So if you want, I've been a writer since I've been uh, self-conscious. Okay. And I was a secret writer throughout high school and... After college is when I really discovered that I wanted to be a writer. I was always writing. It was when I came to Long Beach after graduating in 2010. Okay, put a pause. Yeah. What did you graduate with? Uh, Sociology with a minor in literature. Okay, great. And that has actually played out in my life. These two interests of mine, uh, social, social justice really, and in literature. Right, right. I found the two in college. I found that sociology didn't have enough heart for me, but literature didn't have enough uh, numbers for me, really. Okay, yeah. So I, I work with kind of the logic of the left brain and the creativity of the right brain. I right. try and find a balance between the two. And you went to UC Santa Cruz? Yes. And are, yay. <laughs> um, and are you from Long Beach, or was this an, an exodus for you? I am from Huntington Beach, okay. and then I moved up to Santa Cruz and came back down to Long Beach, because uh, it's this area is my home base. Okay. Okay, carry on. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, let's see. After college, I ended up in Long Beach. I didn't know anything about Long Beach, but I found such an amazing group of people here in so many different communities, such a deep sense of community here. Okay. Um, I found the writers, I found the artists, I found the musicians, I found the nonprofit people doing great work in the world. Um, so Tell us how you found them, if you know. Like, if, yeah. if someone's looking for that kind yeah. of community, how do they find it? Yeah, I was, I was kind of afloat here. What I did was, I went on the internet. Amazing. And I typed into Google, open mics at coffee shops in Long Beach. Amazing. Or some such. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I found an open mic, and I went to it. I was too shy to perform, but I wanted to just be among people doing things. Mm-hmm. I sat there. A couple people came up and introduced themselves to me. I was very, very shy at the time. So that was such an opening, people welcoming me. Right. And 
<laughs> that was really the beginning. And then I realized there's such a huge web, a network here of people who are creating and who are doing things. And I mean, that was literally, literally the first incident. I just showed up to an open mic. Right. And then did you get people's phone numbers? Did you? We did the what Facebook happened? thing. How does it work? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, um, oh, people that I met there let me know about a couple of other open mics that right. were happening. Right. And I started going to those. Yeah. And I went to a few at the, you know, kind of checked out a bunch at the time. The same thing I was doing with my yoga studios. I was looking for my place, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I ended up going to, oh, man. Well, there used to be a press in Long Beach called Right Bloody. Uh-huh. And I ended up... Uh, Is that Derek Brown? Yeah. 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 So he's now LA-based, because still, it still exists. I think they're in Austin. Okay. Last time I Good checked. Good to know. Yeah, Austin, Stop Texas. hitting the table oh. with your fingers. <laughs> um, so I realized at that point that there were real live poets who performed and wrote books yeah. in the world. Yeah. That was kind of an the first eye-opener because I'd only been exposed to poets I read in high school. Yeah. So this is the first time that you've actually said that you're a poet. Oh. Did I, did I say you were a poet? I don't know. I forget. I'm a poet. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. you're a poet. Yeah. So how did you know you were a poet? Like, when did you write your first poem? Why poetry? Yeah, I wrote my first poem when I was eight. It was a Christmas poem about elves that I gave to my fourth grade teacher. Amazing. Yeah. Do you still have this? No, oh, I don't. Bummer. But I remember it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I was writing poetry throughout high school. Yeah. And I was secretly posting on these message boards on the internet. And I was talking with a lot of other teenage poets at the time. Mm-hmm. And everything was so angsty. It was amazing. Yeah. But I, I remember challenging myself as a high schooler, even at that time. I wrote like a, I don't know, 100 line long love poem in some kind of verse form. I don't know why I did it. Right. Uh, why I chose that yeah. particular thing to do. <laughs> well, how did you even know how to do it? Like, did it just come naturally for you? Like, the cadence and, and the form and the structure, or? Yeah. On this message board, there were a lot of older teenage poets yeah. who were sharing their knowledge, and there was a lot of, like, I remember some really catty stuff happening on these message boards. But there was a lot of well-informed young people, writers, who shared their knowledge, and I kind of picked up some stuff from them, Okay. and I, I don't remember, to be honest, yeah. how exactly I came to that. I just remember doing that for some reason. Were you reading po- poetry? Yes. In high school, I was very lucky to have a few amazing English teachers who actually recognized a bit of my writing talent, mm-hmm. and a couple, one of them, my English teacher, Mrs. Hall, um, recommended I read Adrian Rich, and I had been reading Charles Bukowski because that's, that's the what one you do. that I knew, yeah. and <laughs> I just, I found it, I found it a fun thing to do, to write yeah. poems. Yeah. I didn't know anybody else who did it, yeah. other than these other teenagers on the internet. Right. But I love that you remember her name, because I have a similar situation, like my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Wheeler was my English teacher and she was so encouraging like you have a talent you have a thing and like in sixth grade like I don't know what you're doing and I don't know what the other kids are doing but like to to have that kind of encouragement I think is so special oh my gosh it's like your first mentor right yeah these these teachers and these mentors they these are the people that in such a seemingly small way can shape the rest
rest of your life. Like, yeah. I look back and I, I remember Mrs. Hall and yeah. Shout out Mrs. Hall. I Yo. know, hey Mrs. Hall. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stop interrupting you. Okay. Okay, so oh. you're <laughs> you're open mic nights. You're back in Long Beach. You're meeting people. You're not that shy because you're talking to complete strangers. I guess. At open mic nights. Okay. Yeah. That's where we're at. <clears throat> and from there, I ended up deciding after seeing some of the amazing poets on the Right Bloody roster, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is something that I want to do. And I decided, I just remember, it was 2012, and I was like, in five years I'm going to have a book published. I just decided that was what was going to happen. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that, so I pretty much have to figure that out. So I was like, I am either going to go find a writing group, or I'm going to start a writing group. I need to find the people. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was prepared to just go at it on my own. Hey, what's up? Anybody want to come join me? Yeah. Luckily, I found a group that was just starting at that time called the Poetry Lab um, with a poet named Danielle Mitchell, and I showed up for the first day, and I kept showing up for the next year as the group was being formed, mm-hmm. and that is this kind of next trajectory moment where yeah. I just met a ton of people, you know, thanks to the Poetry Lab. Yeah. I met <laughs> a very important person to me named Sarah Thursday, and she and I connected, and we kind of became a team, a, you know, poetry team, we're like discovering things every step of the way, oh my gosh, readings, oh my gosh, workshops, oh my gosh, we want to publish other people, she's the publishing, she's a publishing uh, genius, really, Yeah. and we decided uh, to start a press together, she has her own press, I became a publisher out of uh, <laughs> didn't expect that at some yeah. point, but I did. So she already had her own press. She had been putting her own chapbooks together like since the eighties, like it. or nineties, okay. like, like old school, yeah. like cut and paste. She's making it making in her books. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Good. <laughs> and then here we are in the age of the internet, and yeah. she decided to start something called Cadence Collective, which was a website that published Long Beach poets every single day. Amazing. She's incredible okay and uh let's see she published my first chapbook okay in uh 2014 we had been doing a lot of readings together discovering ourselves as writers and poets and she's a very proactive person she's like nancy just put a book together and i was like i need like five more years to be at the level where I can write a book. Right. You know, I'm just, I just five minutes ago started doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she was like, no, just do it. Just take, fif- like, 15 poems that you've already written, put them together, and we'll print it. So within right. one week, we had self-published my first chapbook. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that was actually the first chapbook for her press because she realized at that point she needed an umbrella sadie girl press sadie girl press okay and Mm -hmm. it is still live today she has now published dozens of poets amazing yeah so we really had a click you know when you meet someone and you just have a creative fire so that was amazing sarah yeah and then where am I going with this? So you're telling us how you got to EB. You're so close. Okay, yeah. I'm almost there. Yeah. Almost there. <laughs> 2014. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so and no formal training at this point. You're just writing poems. Yeah. I like, mean, no. Did form- you take some poetry classes in college? 
I took one general creative writing class in college. Okay. We did read a couple of poems now that I think about it. Okay. Uh, but it was, was like, great. hey, write a short story. Yeah. Hey, write a poem. Hey, yeah. write an essay. Mm -hmm. That kind of, yeah. yeah. So comp class or whatever. It was a general, yeah, yeah, yeah. general okay. creative writing. Yeah, yeah. So that was one class in college because my, even though I was doing a minor in literature, it was more academic. Yeah, okay. So, so were you like 2012 or 13 or something like that? I think that's where yeah. we are, right? It was in two, yeah. So jump, yeah. it was like a massive two year spike, 2012 to 2014, just a lot of things are happening. Yeah, yeah. In 2014, I, uh, I think that was the application, the summer that I applied. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you were 2015, so mm -hmm. it would have been summer of 2014. Mm -hmm. I had actually gone to an Emerging Voices meet and greet mm -hmm. a year or two before that, and I'd had it in my mind uh, for about a year or two that mm -hmm. I was going to apply. But I knew the requirements. I knew I didn't have a project. I needed to come up. I needed to find my project. Yeah. I needed to be prepared to go into a program like that. By 2014, um, I was ready to apply. Okay, so so how do you think, how did you end up at the meet and greet? Like, did you just hear about it from someone else? It was actually, or? I found it, I saw it through the Right Bloody Newsletter. Amazing. Just, yeah. Derek Brown, you're the bomb. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so you apply in 2014, you are accepted. Now, we have a stipulation, like, this fellowship is for underrepresented writers who are isolated from the literary establishment. So how, you know, with the experience that you had, this, you, you were like a self-made... Oh, like, DIY yeah, all the way. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So how did you, how did, how did that underrepresented slash isolated apply to you? That's, yeah. I think just the fact that I had never been a part of a literary, like, official right. establishment. Yeah. And I learned that distinction when I got into the Penn Center that there are different worlds. There's the self-publishing world and the DIY and the grassroots world. And then there's the, you know, big publishing and the established literary world, the people who are out, you know, getting the awards and the prizes and the big book publications and the national um, acclaim. Right. And so I, yeah, I wasn't a part of any of that. Right, right. What do you th what do you think about the statement like all kind of all poets in this day and age are like isolated or underrepresented? Oh, <laughs> do you think like, that's true or not? It's like true? a true statement that like punches me in the heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, so yes, I feel like in a lot of ways poets are kind of outcast even from the major literary establishment when we're talking about agents and publishing yeah. deals and stuff like that. Right. In fact. In my Emerging Voices fellowship experience, there was, you know, somebody had said to me when I was asking, well, but poets don't get agents, so how do we do it? Yeah. The, uh, I <laughs> received the answer that poets are the true artists because we're really in it for the art of it. Right. And not in it to make money or be right, a part you of business yeah, right, right, part right. of the literary world yeah. in a big way. Yeah. That's just not how it works. Yeah. Unless you're, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah. Unless you are like the one person. Right. Of that category. Right. Like the, the, the like top five or whatever who's getting attention that year or something like that. Mm -hmm. 
So what about Lucid Moose? Were you doing that <laughs> before Evie or after or during? What happened? So Lucid Moose is the social justice, social justice focused press I started with Sarah mm -hmm. in 2014. So before uh, the fellowship, it was right around the time that I was applying for it that I also started Lucid Moose. I tend to have a lot of irons in the fire all at mm -hmm. one time, like not just kind of hoping to see what pans out. And so in 2014, yeah, Sarah and I started a press. We published a first book. We did that within four months. It was inc it was insane. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, who, what, what was, what was I doing? How right. did I do that? Where's but, the money coming from for this? So that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> um, at, in 2014, right around this this time in the summer, I had just been laid off from my Your first my first and only corporate job. Okay. Because I had tried to be there, lasted about six months got into a car accident, didn't work out, they laid me off, and I was receiving unemployment, and I had a couple of freelance jobs, uh, but I'll be honest, at that time, I did not have as great a financial awareness as right. I should have. Right, right, right. I was like, I'm going to start this project, because now I have all this free time. I mean, when someone gets laid off, you can do any, you have a lot of hours to, to fill. Yeah. And I decided to publish a book. Yeah. So. <laughs> As one does. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it was an anthology and it was on the topic of poverty. And the reason why, and so talking about money, right, it's it kind sense. of yeah. an a, a interesting thing. Mm -hmm. We wanted to curate a lot of voices on this topic because Sarah and I had both grown up in certain, you know, lacking situations and the reason why we published this topic at this time was because when she was running her website Kings Collective and she published one of my poems on there it got this like WordPress freshly pressed situation which was just a little bit of publicity mm -hmm. and for us just receiving page views and comments was ex it was so exciting at the time. We were oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, there's yeah. 50 comments on this thing from yeah. people that we don't, don't know. know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel the same way. I'm like, like, oh my god, 176 yeah. shares on Facebook? Yeah. It's like, I don't even know that many people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that was the first time I really felt like what a, a sense of an audience mm -hmm. and connecting with somebody through writing through, I mean, outside of my immediate community. Yeah. And... Um, and then we kept the press going while I was going through the fellowship, but there were a lot of factors in my life that made my experience during the fellowship extremely trying. Well, let's talk about it. So yeah. you're living in, you, you accepted, get accepted into the fellowship. It starts in January of 2015. Uh, the Penn office is in Beverly Hills. I'm the first person to say there is like no freeway access. There is no easy way to get into the middle of Beverly Hills from anywhere, unless you live in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and you're coming from Long Beach, which is 35-ish oh, yeah. miles away yeah. from the office. I know because I drive it now four days a week. Yeah. So tell us, tell, okay, so tell us about your experience. Tell us like who your mentor was. I don't know, just tell us. Yeah. And then if I have questions, I'll interrupt. Okay. Yeah. The mentorship was the, the most uh, important part of the fellowship, I think, for me. So my mentor is Victoria Chang. She is amazing. And we're still in... Shout out to Victoria Chang. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> so <laughs> many hashtags on this episode. So <laughs> many. Um, we're still in contact today. And 
she really uh, just provided a lot of perspective for me and a lot of guidance. You know, those mentors we were talking about earlier, just having someone, you know, on my side, kind of helping me figure things out, even figuring things out about the fellowship while I'm in the fellowship right. was so valuable, just so extremely valuable. Um, and so how many days a week did, were you expected at the office? Like, what did your, like, give me a typical week. What did it look like with all yeah. of your um, responsibilities? At the, at the Penn office, it was at least once a week on Mondays, because that was our author evenings. Okay. And then, depending on what the schedule was, it would either be one or two, even maybe two. It depends on the week. One to three times a week. Yeah. Master say. classes. Master classes. Maybe you had a UCLA class. Oh, the UCLA class. When I was doing yeah. a UCLA class, that was at least twice a week. Right. Yeah. And then you're also still running the press. Barely at this point. And you're freelancing. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. And I was also living in a situation that, unbeknownst to me, got progressively worse throughout. <laughs> it was just a perfect storm of a lot of things. There's somebody who was unwittingly living in our, unwittingly to us in our house, living with us. It was a boyfriend of our roommate mm -hmm. who we didn't really want there, but he was there a lot. And uh, by, you know, by, by a few months in, he had gotten abusive, and it was an extremely stressful living situation. So that was just another piece of the puzzle. Right, right. <laughs> well, and, and, it's, and it's an important piece of the puzzle, because I know I didn't come into the fellowship until May of 2015, so you guys were almost done. And last year was the first year that I have been, in, I was like in charge. Like I was the person that everyone came to, and I was doing all the elements of the fellowship. And I know that Kieran Kahn came from Oakland, and the living situation thing cannot be like stressed enough because she was like at an Airbnb and she didn't know what it was gonna look like and it was ended up being like a, you know fifteen people living there and and the, just the anxiety that's produced when you have all these other responsibilities cannot be overlooked. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I've learned since the fellowship in my years as I grow wiser. Yeah. You know that establishing a strong foundation financially in your living situation like these things are so so important I think when I was I think I was uh, you know I'm in my mid it was in my mid-20s you know when I was in the fellowship and I think I was in that burgeoning adulthood I mean I just think I'm still burgeoning <laughs> into adulthood I think you're still burgeoning <laughs> I'll give it to you <laughs> um, but yeah it I honestly did not know how to deal with a lot of the things that were happening in my life at the time that I was in the fellowship, mm -hmm. but I was so intent on succeeding in the program that okay. I... Um, what, it, what, it, what does that mean? Like, what did success look like? That means... Like, not dropping out and, like, well, crying in your room. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. at the very least, showing up. You know, on the first day of the uh, fellowship welcoming, mm -hmm. we got a very strong uh, introduction that we are cannot be late ever. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay. And if we're driving from far away, then you leave an hour early to get there on time. Yep. So I did. I mean, I left probably two hours early mm -hmm. every single time that I was trying to get up to LA, mm -hmm. just because you don't you know what no traffic's going to be. Yeah, no idea. And so showing up was the first part. I showed up yeah. throughout the entire thing. Yeah. And what also I learned from the fellowship 
is how much preparation and practice goes into a, perform a performance. Mm -hmm. So practicing, you know, uh, writing or performing, whatever it is, having those hours to focus on what you're working on, you need to carve that out for yourself. And I found it very difficult at that point to manage my paid freelance work and my needing to work on my unpaid writing craft right. for myself. Right. What were you doing freelance? I was working as a content marketer, doing blogs and content management okay. for a couple of agencies. Mm -hmm. So all, all independent work on my own. Mm -hmm. Gotten a lot better since then managing my time, but time management yeah. is one of those things right. we need to learn as a as a writer because the fellowship gave us a lot of structure, and that was helpful and also very difficult. And another thing that was difficult was that we were reading a book every week, but most of those books were not related to my craft. So most of them were fiction or nonfiction. And those are, that's great, but, um, you know, I wasn't reading a lot of poetry. Right. So I wasn't in that brain space even to write my own poetry, um, as, you know, right. that right. I was supposed to do. Now, and was Victoria giving you, uh, did she have like a reading list for you? Was oh, that yeah. part of, of, of your mentorship? Mm -hmm. But also it's like, how much time do you really have? Well, yeah, I mean, if I'm reading one, book a week and I've got everything else I've got to do there are a lot of things on my to-do list yeah. constantly but yeah. I truthfully couldn't really get to a lot of the extracurriculars yeah yeah well I will say that I totally agree with that you know setting up the schedule is really hard with five fellows and especially if you have people if you have a poet if you have a novelist if you have a short story writer if you have somebody who's writing memoir it's like how do you how do you make sure everyone is equally represented which has been kind of a challenge. Also having an author evening once a week has obviously been a challenge because you really don't get to write. So this year we tried to cut those almost in half so that there were dedicated author evenings twice a month usually. Maybe there was a third, but it was like if we got lucky and like Percival Everett was in conversation with David Yulin in Pasadena, we were able to like dip in there. And then for the poetry track, we created a separate poetry track. So mm -hmm. the poet was able to actually meet with Derek from Right Bloody. Oh. He was able to meet with Chuan Choi um, from Writ Large. He was able to meet with Daniel Lisi. Um, uh, he, Doug Kearney, before Doug Kearney moved and is no longer living in California. And then we did some phone, he got to do some phone conversations with like, Carl Phillips, Janice Smith, Ricky Laurentis, uh, Jeffrey Davis. So it was really kind of like wow. these two separate things happened. And wow, though he yeah, and he, he didn't have to go to the agent nights. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have to hear that agents don't represent poets. Mm -hmm. It was more like meeting with someone like you, like, hey, I have a, a collection. How do I publish this? Mm -hmm. And it was that kind of like hands-on information for poets. Wow, that's great. So That's really great. <laughs> we try. Yeah, We're trying. No, We're trying. So but I feel like it's like, you know, the, the fellowship has been in existence now for 22 years, and it's like we, ha we can't be afraid to make changes. Like mm -hmm. We have to figure out how to make it the best fellowship that it can be. And I know, you know, I was looking at your eval, believe it or not, from 2015 mm -hmm. before I came over because I wanted to see 
really what your experience of the fellowship was and had, had what you had to say. And I did notice that you had a great experience with Victoria Chang and she's amazing. Um, and I'm gonna, this is gonna segue because she's now in Antioch mm-hmm. um, in their MFA program. So let's talk about, so you're talking about what it was like in the fellowship, that it was really difficult. Some aspects of the fellowship were really difficult. And did it make you question like your choices? <laughs> Talk about it questioning yeah. your choices yeah. coming so, out of the fellowship. So the fellowship was great. It was so viable. I learned so much. I had never been on a stage in front of 300 people before for the fi- like the final reading. There's so I many- find that so hard to believe because you are such a performer. <laughs> Everyone says that. I have an internal voice like we all do. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have the external persona. Anyway, there's a lot of voices in my head as a writer. Um, of course. I'd be scared if there <laughs> so, weren't. Yeah. So thank you for that. But um, uh, yeah, after the fellowship, I had received so much information that I think I was a bit just overwhelmed and confused about where I fit into all of that. And I... <laughs> I definitely hit a low point. I mean, the perfect storm that was building. My bad living situation, I was in I was in a new relationship that was uh, <laughs> difficult. I, you know, struggling financially, um, had this press that I had started yeah. <laughs> and needed to do something about. And were, you, were you also, didn't you have a reading series going in Long Beach? Uh, a lot of people think that because I, I like to at show all up. The things. I okay. just show okay. up at things. Yeah. But no, I wasn't actually leading one at the time. Okay. I am now, but yeah. not at the time. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. So I I hit a low point and I was like, this is, there were so many things that were so uh, taxing on my, on my mental health and on my physical health even, just on my time and finances. I was like, I don't, if this is how it's going to be, I can't do no, this. No, thanks. Yeah. No. no I can't, I, I can't take this life as a writer. If there's no, you know. Yeah, so... Where I, is the joy? Where's the joy? Where's the where's joy, the good people? Time? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I had been told, and I appreciate, you know, hearing from Libby, uh, the, the director at the time, primary director, right? Sure. <laughs> um, Libby Flores. Libby Shout Flores. out Libby Flores. Yeah. Hashtag. Um, I did appreciate her, you know, calling me and kind of talking me through some of this afterwards. Mm-hmm. And she had said, you know, everyone after the fellowship has to find their own way. Like, we give you the tools, and then we have a transition period, whatever that is, and then you keep going. Mm-hmm. So I hit my hit my low point. For about a year, I just kind of backed out of everything. Mm-hmm. I had stopped saying yes to readings. I had stopped. Actually, I published a chap- my second chapbook during that time. Right. <laughs> so you weren't doing anything, but you did publish your second chapbook. Yeah, I had gotten the acceptance while I was in the fellowship, so yeah. I had to follow it through. Yeah, yeah. Or I had to decide to quit, and I decided to go forward with it. Was that an, a, a prize, a chapbook prize? I had a, applied to a contest, okay. but I I didn't win the contest, but I got a publishing deal. It was through Finishing Line Press. Okay. Yeah, they they offer that as an option, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a good option. Yeah. Um, so but, now this is book number three. No, this is book number two. Number two, okay. Yeah. Because uh, the other one I said I published, that was as a publisher. <laughs> right. So I have two chapbooks. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Finish- where are we going? <laughs> Finishing like, Line Press. Okay. Even though oh, you my, were in a fallow point, point uh, yeah, 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 you still published a book. 
still publishing a book. And I was just fighting an internal battle, like how do I make this work for myself? Because I didn't receive a clear path from EV, which no reason why I should have, but I didn't, I didn't walk out of the fellowship feeling like I knew what I should do or what my next step should be. And, I, and we were talking about MFAs. I got a lot of people telling me, you need, you need to go get an MFA now. And a lot of people telling me, don't you dare get an MFA because there's, you're going to pay a lot of money for it and then Never not have a job. a job. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I need to process this information <laughs> for I about felt, a year. I felt, this, I felt similar when I went through the fellowship. It was that I came out and I, I felt almost like I had more confidence going in than I did coming out. Oh, I was like, sure. oh my God, what just happened? I don't know what I'm doing. Why do I think I can do this? So I totally relate. Okay, yeah. that's pretty much word for word. That's yeah. how I felt. Because yeah. before I went into the fellowship, I was like, the, the sky's the limit. I yeah. can be a publisher. I can be a poet and publish my own books. Yeah. And then after the fellowship, I realized what a different world I was looking at. Right. Um, a different playing field. Yeah. And, you know, good or bad, whatever it is, I had a different set of expectations for myself now. Yeah. Now... I needed to go out and do higher level things. Right. And that's not, you know, yes. Like, that's sure, what you're supposed that's to do. What, yeah, that's exactly. what I should do. Yeah. But I did feel that sense of kind of, a, a lot of pressure. Yeah. I felt a lot of pressure to achieve yeah. more. Yeah. And not sure how to do that, especially when my joy felt so far. Yeah. so far from me from yeah. the writing process so I needed that time to kind of regroup and then after that I well I actually made another goal for myself and I said alright I'm going to figure this out by the time I'm 30 if I can do it full force I'm going to give it my all and then I'm going to check in with myself around my 30th birthday okay. and see how it's going Yeah. do I want to go back and go get my corporate job. Oh my god, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking of you sitting in that glassed-in <laughs> cubicle with the other creative types. <laughs> I just don't do well in cubicles. You know, creative personalities I think need a lot of space mentally and even physically. At least um, a window. At least Come a on, window! People. I yeah. need at least one window. Mm. Um, which isn't to say there couldn't be other possibilities out there. Right. But I am going to be 30 next month, so I am checking in with myself here. We're actually here at a point where I am... Should we do it right now? Check-in? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay, okay so here's the check-in. So yeah. imagine that you're 30. What was supposed to happen? What did you do? Tell me. Yeah. So I, I needed to decide whether I was going to be able to live a sustainable life as a writer. And a lot of that comes down to finances and the nitty gritty of making your life work for you. And the type of personality that I am, I, I am kind of a, a chronic entrepreneur in a sense. Like I like to start projects. I like to build things. I'm building, I like to build organizations even, like the Long Beach Literary Arts Center, which I've been working on with a group for the past two years. I like so to what's that? What's Long Beach Literary Arts the Center? Long, the Long Beach Literary Arts Center is a, well, we're in the process of filing for nonprofit status, 
right now we're a group of uh, six or seven you know core team members building a literary center for Long Beach we eventually wish to have a physical space right now we're just doing pop-up events and we're building our programming and we're building our foundation the vision is to have a center in the city for the literary arts to flourish okay and our mission is to help writers connect, create, and collaborate, specifically here in Long Beach. Hmm. And you're teaching classes? Yes, so I created my own poetry curriculum mm -hmm. called Surprise the Line, community, independently run classes. And, and you're teaching them where? Here in Long Beach. I find a cafe or some place to hold them, which is another reason why space is such a huge deal, why we want to create a space for people to go to have workshops and literary mm -hmm. events. Um, and that was really exciting. I mean, I love, I just, I, I like creating my own project. I just created my own curriculum and decided to market it and ha hope that people signed up. Mm -hmm. And they did. Yeah. So I'm very, very independently driven, I, I think you would say. So are you making, just, I'm going to try to make you stay with your check-in, your 30-year-old yes. check-in. So are you making a living as a writer right now? I would say... We're sitting in your Mostly. giant apartment. You yeah. live here by yourself yeah. with the cat. Yeah. Something's going right. I would say mostly I'm making a living as a writer. Okay. Yes. Um, not just a writer, though. Yeah. As an organizer. Mm -hmm. I organize events and produce events and that kind of thing, which is my, you know, left side of the brain, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You love that. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Color coding all day long. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So talk about, okay, so what about the reading series? Because you said now you are organizing a reading series. So yes. what's that? I have one that is called Off the Page, the story behind the stanzas. It is, right now I'm doing it about twice a year at the Long Beach Public Library okay. downtown. And the idea is that I invite a few poets to come and share the story behind their poetry, whether that's behind the poem or the book or their life. Because I always like... When we go to open mics, sometimes they're so we're so uh, taxed for time. You have two minutes, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to have a little bit more open space for the poets to really talk about their process and their life, just in an intimate setting. It's a very cool. It's just a very nice little uh, room that we go to, and then have an open mic so that people can come up and share one poem and a little bit about how they got to that poem. I'm really, really interested in process. I'm a very process-oriented kind of person. Another workshop, well, and the workshop I'm leading right now is on The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which is a just a stunningly life-changing book for me. I can credit everything that I've told you about so far mm -hmm. with me reading that book around the same time that I just moved to Long Beach. Okay. It's, it's just so, it's so empowering for people to live a creative life. And... Another reading series that I'm co-hosting with my friend Mike Ravonio is at Deep Piazzas here in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. We're doing that four times a year. That is called Poetry on the Rocks. <laughs> These are two very s distinctly different sorts of events. One's Poetry on the Rocks is there drinking involved. <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. there's drinking mm -hmm. involved. <laughs> so we invite we invite poets to come up, and it's just features. We have each of them take a shot on stage. We give, oh, Mike was telling me about yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> we, give, we give them a prompt. Uh, they have to come up with a haiku 
on the spot. On the spot. Yeah. On the up, stage. Yeah. Okay. Super fun. Yeah. While drunk. When is the next or, one? The next one is September Wednesday, September nineteenth at seven p.m. Oh my goodness, we need to. Is are, is there artwork where we're going to be pushing this? Uh, we'll we'll definitely have some stuff set up soon. Okay, so what about we were talking while we over tacos. We're ta- that's how I bribe all of my podcast guests is with tacos. tacos. Except for Sam Dunn. I'm sorry I owe you tacos. We <laughs> ate cold pizza. I apologize. Um, but we were talking about, so so you have all these other aspects. Like you, reading, you have like two reading series. You're teaching classes. You're starting a nonprofit. Um, what about submissions? What about residencies? What yeah. about that stuff? So Nancy's Homes, what's going on there? I'm so glad you asked about that because as an organizer, it's so easy for me to let my own projects fall to the wayside. It is a strength of will for me to get to the computer and research residencies, but I do it. Mm-hmm. I have a running list. Uh, I'm, I love I love research. I love Excel spreadsheets, so I've got those going. And I know this about you because when I started working at Penn, you were like, <laughs> I love doing that stuff. And I was like, you are insane. I know. Yeah. I, I warn people. Yeah. <laughs> this is a bit of my insanity showing. But I think that's wonderful because you have to be that way as an artist. If yeah. you're going to be submitting things, you need to be okay with an Excel sheet because how are you yeah. going to keep track of all the things you submit? Oh submitted? my gosh. And that's the thing that I realized for myself, I've got like at least two different voices in my brain. The one that wants to just la 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 all day long and go out and play and think and create and hula hoop and you know belly dance and oh God, whatever yeah a little bit oh my God, I'm so jealous. Okay. <laughs> and then the other side that's like all right let's put everything in its correct boxes and with its correct color coding and let's do the research before we take the action and have a strategy and have a plan have a timeline so those two sides of my brain I feel are constantly like working together mm-hmm. so Right now, at this current moment, at my check-in, I am currently planning a writing retreat for myself around my birthday Mm -hmm. to take a few days and go within a couple of hours driving distance and just pull up and just allow myself the freedom to not have to think about anything other than what I'm working on. Okay. That's my solution for myself right now because during the fellowship, one of the things that got drilled into my brain was write every day, write every day, write every day on your projects. And I do write every day, I journal every mm-hmm. day, but I don't write on my poetry every day. It's different. And I mean, I think it's different for a lot of f- fiction versus poetry. Fiction, you can make slow, steady progress over time. For me as a poet, I, I'm a burster. Like, there are two different ways of thinking about work plodding versus bursting. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I burst. I like, I'm a binger. I, I will just seven hours hardcore go straight into a subject. And I, and I like that. I like mm-hmm. that freedom. I get messed up when I do that and I forget to take care of other things mm-hmm. in my life. So I'm planning a retreat so that I, I'm allowing burst. myself yeah. to burst. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have a book that I'm working on right now and I just haven't found the time to finish it. Or work on it. What about your project that you worked on in EV? Is that did that end up being the chat book? No, that one is still in the files in my computer. Okay. Because another thing that came out of EV was realizing what an emotional toll it took to go backwards into my trauma. Oh yeah. Oh, oh right, yeah, girl. Like, I write nonfiction. <laughs> it's terrible. It's fucking terrible. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. 
Um, and yeah, I, I had some depression after the fellowship. And I'm a generally anxious person, but I, I manage it pretty well. Like yeah. And because I mean, you have like 15 things happening at any given time, and that's partially why. Yeah. Because I, I like, yeah, my brain just fires, 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 yeah. and I need to figure out how to manage it. <laughs> yeah. Um, my therapist told me that was good because I have really intense ADD, mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, well then you are someone who can have like 10 projects yeah. because it it actually suits your it condition. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I. That project, The Great Divide, which is about my being disowned from my Chinese family at birth and a lot of abandonment issues, if you will, mm-hmm. I haven't really dug back into it because I've, I just, I'm trying to move forward and I'm trying to find that sweet spot from looking back and reflecting and not getting bogged down, bogged down mm-hmm. in yeah mm-hmm. like I'm in a very forward moving pace right now yeah. which is why I feel like if I do go into that what I need I've just determined for myself I need an extended period of time to process everything yeah. and kind of go go into it but who knows it might it might make its way into the draft that I'm working on right now which is a book of poems called I'd Rather Be Lightning and I'm still trying to figure out yeah thanks um what that's going to end up being. Yeah, I was going to say, is there an organizing principle there, or you're not sure? I'm still trying to figure it out, <laughs> even though I already have pencils, my friend. <laughs> so great. Our you team. already have I'd Rather Be Lightning pencils? With my name on it. Oh yeah, my I god, that's amazing. I have a thousand of them. A thousand of them? I have a thousand of them. Okay, <laughs> do you write with pencil when you're writing? No, this was a gift from that's a friend. This hilarious. Was a, this was a gift from a friend as a, a marketing yeah. tool to give out yeah. once my book is finished, so... I've actually got to finish the book now. Oh, you already have all your marketing tools. That's, that's good. Yeah. I like that. We're like jumping around in time. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? So what do you think about the check-in? So we just did a check-in. Yeah. Like, how are you feeling about it? I'm going to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. I When I am building, I'm learning how to do business for myself. Being a solopreneur, being a freelancer, without uh, a fallback, yeah, I've got to I've got to keep getting better at it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I'm at right now. I've made the decision that I need to not be afraid to go out and learn what I don't know, mm-hmm. and to put the pieces mm-hmm. together so that I can continue um, making a living as a writer. And it's a lot of balance. It's a big. It's a huge balancing act, but. Overall, I'd say that I'm committed. I love it. That's mm-hmm. so great. Why do you think it's so important? I love, you know, that you're you've focused on Long Beach and you feel like I really do feel like there's this like amazing literary community in Long Beach. And part of the reason for that is because Los Angeles is so spread out, and you know it's really not feasible to expect people to go. I don't know, would you say like past 10 miles? That's even <laughs> stretching it. I don't know. It's like you have to be yeah. like a 10 mile radius or like it's not working. Yeah. Um, why do you think it's so, like based on that, why is it so important to have, you know, community arts programs? Mm. Oh my gosh, it's so important. Uh, I mean, just from personal experience, Long Beach is the hub where I found myself as a writer and as an artist. And the people here are 
the communities are specific to location a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. And driving up to LA, we're talking about traffic, you know, driving up to LA for the fellowship, I did find a community there. Like my cohort, I still keep in touch with them. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't my home base and I never found a place in LA yeah. for me to find my creative center. So I came back to Long you know, came back, but I I drove back I to drove Long Beach. I drove back to Long Beach. <laughs> <laughs> I made the trek. Yeah. yeah. And I realized this is really where my home base is. And rather than trying to, I don't know, move out to LA, which is something other people, some people have suggested that I do, I decided that I wanted to stay here. Yeah. And I wanted to be a part of the scene here, even, even though, like, a lot of people don't realize that Long Beach has such a vibrant arts community. Yeah. And especially the literary arts, too. Um, I personally have been enriched so fully right. by my community here. And um, I don't want for people who live in Long Beach and who want to be a part of a literary scene to have to drive up to LA or to have to go out to wherever, San Diego or an, um, even, even Orange, you know, which has a really cool thing going on there. I want... Ooh, let's plug Orange. Yeah, the, the 1888 1888 Center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the ugly bug. Yeah. Um, I want to add to the general literary scene in the Southern California area yeah. and just create a location, not create, because it's already here. Yeah. The scene in Long Beach is already here. But to um, continue building within that scene yeah. rather than sort of relocating to something that is already established. I just think that's so wonderful because I think about you know, we do a volunteer project and it's kind of like this idea of paying it forward. Like you've gotten all of these contacts and you've gotten the, the, the benefit of a mentor. And it's like, how can you, I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by the ways that you have kind of given back to your community, um, have tried to figure out how to make this life as a poet, but not just as Nancy the poet, it's like as Nancy like the community organizer, and as Nancy the teacher, and as Nancy the mentor, and it's like all these things that you were given, mm -hmm. you're, you've found a way to make them work as part of your career and as your creative mm -hmm. self, and I think that's wonderful, and to me, like that's the point, that's one of the points of Emerging Voices. And I know that this year, because I was thinking about moving to Long Beach, and I just wasn't sure if I was gonna be able to do it, and we're at the mentor dinner, and like Miriam Gerba had, lives in Long Beach, or had lived in Long Beach. Michael Jaime Becerra had lived in Long Beach. Um, Douglas Manuel lives in Long mm -hmm. Beach. So it was like, oh my God, there, there's this thing. And it is a different, it feels different. It's mm -hmm. a different feeling. Like it's a very much, I can just see you sitting it at an open mic, open mic night, and people come up to you and talking <laughs> right? to you. Yeah. Like I can't so much see that in Los in uh, yeah. LA, you know? Yeah, it's a different because it's a different thing. It's a different thing. Yeah. I can't put entirely words to it, but people here in Long Beach, generally across the board, yeah, just very open, inviting, welcoming, collaborative. Um, you know, you get you get people of all sorts in all places, but. I have experienced such a such a collaborative and welcoming atmosphere here that makes you feel like anything is possible. Yeah. And that you can create whatever you want to create. And so that's really a big part of my inspiration is staying here with my community. And yeah. Yeah, I really I really love it.
it's part of why I'm not seeking an MFA degree right now because in order to uh, go into a program that wouldn't set me back financially, I would need to move if mm -hmm. I were to get into a fully funded a fully program. Fully funded, yeah. And maybe someday that will be something that I do. But right now, like, I just want to be here in Long Beach building with my co-creators. And it's not like you're sitting on your laurels wondering what you should do next. <laughs> what laurels? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm sure you're like, okay, Amanda, we got to wrap it up because I have stuff to do. So what we've been doing is, and I should have warned you this before because now I'm kind of going to put you on the spot, but how we close out is that we leave people with um, a writing exercise. Okay. Um, all right. So my prompt, because I'm interested in my own writing and working with some found materials, especially some scientific uh, topics right now, my prompt is something that anyone can do, and it actually doesn't have to be a poem. But the idea is you, first of all, we want to know what interests us and that we want to know more about to do more research about. So I would say make a list of five things that interest you off the top of your head right now. Just topics. So brainstorm it out. Five or more. See what comes to mind. Then go back and see which one of those calls to you the most. Choose that one. And I'm going to give you some examples. Make sure that it's concrete. So a concrete thing that you can look up that is physical in the world. Um, cats. Cats, yeah. yes. In fact... Is that on your list? Well, when I gave yeah. this prompt, it was when I <laughs> just came back from the desert and I had desert animals that I gave to my workshop. Okay. And I printed out... Uh, information about different desert animals. If you want a specific constraint, go with desert animals. Love Find it. a desert animal. You go to some kind of internet place where you can find, you know, a couple of pages about them and print it out. Print out, you know, two or three pages. This is, I like when things are physical. Read through whatever your topic is. So if it's a cactus wren or whatever, uh, a jackrabbit, whatever it might be, a specific Pavelina. thing. Huh? Javelina. Ooh, what's that? It's a desert uh, wild boar. Ooh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Javelina. I lived in Arizona, dude. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So print that out and then read through the article. When I was choosing articles, I'm looking for things that have interesting language. So I'm paying attention to the language. So when you print out the article, have a highlighter in hand and just highlight or underline phrases that sound interesting. It doesn't even matter really what they mean. Like, for example, with my jackrabbit, it was flush from cover. I couldn't get that phrase out of my head. Mm. Go through, take those link, take those phrases or words, you know, make yourself a word bank, and then um, <laughs> that's basically the beginning of it, to find, and then write a poem or, you know, an essay or a stream of consciousness or a story mm -hmm. using those words as a jumping off point, and if you're doing the desert animal prompt, the questions that I, that I would pose are um, using the environment as your launching point. When have you survived in harsh conditions? And what are your adaptations? That's specific to the desert animals. Mm -hmm. um, but, but not really. But you could apply it to anything, yeah. really. Like Seriously. We want to get at the emotional core of your personal narrative 
combined with the you know external facts of some of a scientific narrative that, that's what I'm really interested in right now in my own writing I like it so you can kind of take this idea and apply it to anything that you're interested in so you pick a topic research it just find words or language that you're interested in and um, you know write right from there yeah it's kind of simple but widely applicable I, I love it because <laughs> I was like ooh, that that whole idea of like when have you survived in harsh conditions? It's like, that takes me way far away from desert animals right? into like so many different directions. Right, and then you can use the language. Flesh from cover is gonna be in my head all damn day. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thank you yeah. so much. Oh, thank you, Amanda. What a great, uh, what a great podcast we've just created. Yay. All right, Nancy Linnae Wu, see you later. All right. Bye guys. America champions the freedom to write and believes that freedom of expression and literature are inseparable. Visit pen.org to learn more about what we do. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Join us. Be a part of the larger conversation. Support for EV comes from sources both big and small. Serious financial support comes from organizations like the Amazon Literary Partnership, California Arts Council, New Balloon and Catapult, Los Angeles County Arts Commission, the Ovation Foundation, Pasadena Literary Alliance, the Rosenthal Family Foundation, and UCLA Extension Writers Program. And let's not forget individuals like Jamie and David Wolf. We appreciate you. To the emerging voices themselves, this podcast is in support of everything you do and everything you've accomplished. Congratulations. We celebrate you. Thanks to 2012 EV Johnny Alfie for giving us our theme song, Linen, from his band, Tony and Johnny. And to the members of the Los Angeles literary community who have been showing up for us for more than 20 years, donating their time as mentors, committee members, author evening hosts, and masterclass instructors, I have leaned on each and every one of you for advice, and I appreciate you. You've been there to answer my questions, those of the fellows, as well as the questions of prospective applicants. You've written letters of recommendation, introductions, outreach essays, and blog posts. You've encouraged EVs to read at your events and said yes when we've asked you to read at ours. And to Dave Thomas, everything we know about public speaking, we learned from you. This is all just to say, thanks LA, sincerely. <laughs>